Listening to Food Chain, presented by Perfy. A big thank you to this episode's sponsor, Triple Whale. Triple Whale's powerful analytics platform clarifies your ad performance across channels, keeping you instantly in the know. Hit the link in the show notes and use promo code Perfy for 15% off today. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Food Chained. Today's guest is none other than Jake Carls from Midday Squares. Jake, welcome to the show. Oh, dude. I love that you give me the right to introduce myself. I think that's the hottest thing. Usually on podcasts, it's always uh, a self. It's already already written out, you know, and it's already said. So my name's Jake. I'm one of the co-founders at Midday Squares. I also go by Chief Rainmaker as my actual official title, I think, <laughs> uh, if titles really matter. And yeah, dude, my my whole life, like my purpose in life is, is to go out there and spread good energy every day and, and to show the world that you could win by being you. And Midday Squares is... A company I founded to show that while you be yourself, you can build something to whatever level you want. And Midday Square is my goal with Midday Squares, or my my partners and our my goal is to build the next biggest chocolate snacking company in CPG. You know, think what would Mars, Mar- Hershey's, Mondelez look like if they started today? If they start in 2022. That's what we're trying to accomplish: a legacy brand that will not just be here for five, 10 years, but should be here for the next hundred years. We wanna be in the in the refrigerators of the next hundred years of people. And the goal is, is build that chocolate company with great product market fit. So we call it a functional chocolate bar, which is basically a chocolate bar that tastes absolutely delicious, dark chocolate that is an indulgence, but also uses epically clean ingredients that are also high in protein, high in fiber, and actually satisfies hunger for like three hours. And the second thing of the business that's really interesting is we're a media company internally as well. So we tell our story via social media, you know, LinkedIn, Instagram, TikTok, but we show everything. So we kind of create like a reality show on entrepreneurship through our social media channels. And the reason why is we wanted to stand out when you went to the grocery store. We wanted you as a consumer to look at us more as you becoming a fan rather than just buying the product because you like the product. And that was going to help us. That was the thesis at the beginning was going to help us stand out in those grocery shelves with 40,000 other products in their grocery refrigerators or whatever. And it's been working. So yeah, that's, that's a little about who we are and who I am to a certain extent. Love it. I'm glad that you touched on the media company uh, because that's one of the things that's I have noted. And one thing that I've noticed with you guys is it's it is like a reality TV show. You know, my girlfriend watches uh, 90 Day Fiance. She watches like Real Housewives of this, and and I watch like Midday Squares. That's kind of how I like what's what's going on in their world. How, what are they building? What mess? What went wrong? And how did they fix it? And I think it's so cool because you're you're like your own TV show, dude. It's literally like we realize that people use their entertainment daily through their rectangular item, their phone, let's call it iPhone, whatever you want, or Android, whatever kind of phone you want to talk about. But you sit there and you watch stuff to either educate yourself or entertain yourself or to kill your boredom, right? So we said, you know, companies today, in at least in the food and beverage space, this was in 2018 when we launched, but we said in that space, it felt like as if it was all commodities or more and more commodities rather than brands that had real meaning or real emotional connection. But yet when you go to like the cosmetic stores like Sephora, 
you know, the consumer is like fans of the products in there and they, they, they post about it. They talk about it. They feel deeply about it. They are so excited. And yet the grocery store, it's a beautiful, a beautiful place, but yet it didn't have that energy. So what I said is to my partners, I said, guys, it's very simple. Let's start entertaining folks via their phones so that they're all, we're always on top of mind, but we're not on top of mind because we're talking about a chocolate bar. We're on top of the mind because we're talking about relevant human nature things, drama, positivity, negativity, all these different things, family business, therapy, raising money, legal battles, all the things that no one really sees, you know, other than surface level wise, we're like, can we just show behind the curtain and show, literally show everything other than how we make our product. And when we started to do it, it was really uncomfortable at first, but then there was a snowball effect. People were like, who are these crazy people? They're weird. They're showing everything. It's like kind of like a reality show, but it's so scrappy, unfiltered, but I kind of, I'm really curious and interested. Are this, is this company going to make it? Is it going to fail? Are they going to solve this problem that they just put out there? Are they going to raise the money that they said they're going to raise? And then you see that whole series happen as it goes. You kind of feel like, wow, I want to support this company. I know them. I feel like they're my friends, family, or neighbors. And that's what we did since day one. And that's our thesis that we continue to embrace every single day. I think it goes a long way too, because anytime I see a LinkedIn post from, from you or the team, there's it's like you guys know everybody. And And back in the day, I used to liken marketing to just making friends. And I feel like you take that to an entire new level. Everyone you take from retailers to merchandisers to random people that want to meet you at trade shows. How has that helped grow your brand, if at all? The make friends do business later is the key to winning in any industry, not just in CPG. But the reason why is because businesses are still human. There are humans behind the businesses. There are humans that you have to interact with the business. And truth be told, no one wants everything so monotone and transactional. We we have such a short-lived life on planet Earth that like it's such a short vacation that building those deeper connections is what makes life actually meaningful. So when I go to the stores and I go meet the cashiers and I go meet the store managers and the merchandisers at the level, I don't care to tell them, do this, do that, do that. I need more space in the store. I need that. What I focus on first is, let me get to know these people and let's actually hang out and get to know each other's friends. And if business happens after it, great. But at least I gained in my personal life somebody that I could actually call a friend, which would care for me, that would like to do fun things with me or be there in sad times. And what that does is when the moment it is necessary that we need help in the store, guess what? They've already been doing it because they naturally want to support their friend. Same thing goes with investors. The first thing we do with investors, venture funds, private equity, angels, is we tell them, if you want to invest, the number one condition is that we need to be able to sleep on your couch at your house, in your condo, when we're in your city, and you got to serve us breakfast in the morning because we need to see if we jam. We need to see if we get along. Forget about the networks. Forget about the, the skill sets. Do we enjoy our time together? Because if that's if we don't, there's no point of being partners. If we do, then it already starts off on an amazing foot where there's more depth than just capital. So I would say make friends, do business second or do business later. And I promise you over the long run, it will guarantee you some sort of success or return on that investment. And I don't even go in with the mindset of return on investment. I go in with the mindset of no agenda. Let's have fun. Let's make an emotional connection. That's 
super profound because have any investors ever or potential investors ever said, hell no, you cannot stay on my couch. I'm not making you breakfast. I don't even make breakfast for myself. Has, has anything weird ever happened like that? So yeah. And then, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, 100%. But then we don't, the beauty of that situation is then we know that it might not be the right fit. And yeah. obviously, you know, right away, if someone doesn't want, when someone lets you into their home, they're welcoming you typically into their life, their private life, their personal life. And that's a statement. That's a commitment. So I think that whoever's off, off for that, doesn't offer that. It's something that's like, okay, well, we have a list of other friends that we want to get involved. Why not explore that rather than have someone that's solely transactional or solely just so corporate? I don't want to be on this journey for the rest of my life with people that are so transactional. It's not fun. You know, the journey, even though it's painful and miserable at times, and I don't mean miserable in terms of like, I hate this. I mean, more like just the, there's feelings of misery at time. In the end, it's supposed to be an enjoyable ride. It's supposed to be an enjoyable roller coaster that lasts a long time. It's supposed to give you purpose. It's not supposed to ruin you. It's not supposed to, you know, make you be angry and fearful. It's supposed to make you a, a better person and, and a place where you could be you and have fun. So the people that are part of that are probably the most important. That's great. You know, I have a story that's um, very similar. I, I also own a marketing agency and it reminds me of this one time, you know, I was on a sales call with um, this person from big food, you know, double masters, like very, very, you know, on paper, very polished person. And I, I told them, you know, I like working with people that I can get a beer with. And I, I barely drink anymore these days. And they were so offended by that. Like they, like it, they got so mad at me. I was, I was like, wait, am I getting pranked right now? Is this, is this for real? Or is this person really actually offended? And, you know, long story short, we never spoke again, but I feel like I dodged a bullet there. You know what it is? It's like, first of all, I, I stopped drinking a lot lately and I just gave it up because I was like, you know what? I don't feel good. I don't enjoy it. I never like to taste anyways. So what I did is I switched and that you're right. Sometimes I'll get these social settings and I'll be there and they'll be like, you want a beer? You want a drink? And I'm just like, no, man, it's all good. I'll have Perrier or I'll have like whatever and water. And the question is like, are you for real? Are you serious? Are you kidding? You're just a baby, like all this stuff. And I'm like, I'm like, wow, we're such a, we're so backwards right now. It's mm -hmm. like, that's a backwards mentality. It's like, I don't need to drink to or do drugs to have fun. I just need to be myself and yes. feel comfortable in the environment that I'm there and I'll thrive. I'll kill it. I'll have the energy that you've never seen. You know, actually I love caffeine. So I have a lot of caffeine, but that's my addiction. But at the end of the day, it's like this whole drinking concept is like, like, I don't judge people for drinking. I, I think it's great. You enjoy, you enjoy that, but you know, that's fine. The more important thing is, is are you not judging each other during these scenarios? It's like, you know, this shouldn't be a weird question to ask somebody, oh, I don't want to drink. That shouldn't be a weird thing. No, I think they're more offended that I wanted to be their friend and work with them than the drinking itself. Like they, they weren't somebody that was like in, in AA or anything like that. And again, I, I rarely drink, but it was more of a question like, can we be friends? I like working with people that we get along. We can text each other on the weekends if we wanted to, or, you know, just get life updates. I think it's, it was kind of similar to you saying, you know, we want to sleep on your couch, make us breakfast, that sort of stuff. And I, I think that there's a lot to say for partners in any, you know, vertical or industry, if they can have a genuine relationship, I think it's much better for the overall outcome of that business. Man, it, it makes the whole lot difference to have, have friendships, man. I think, I think we as, we as a society need to get it together. we we'll stop rushing things with each other. Mm -hmm and focus on long-term rather than short-term. You know, I'm a big fan of social media, but 
there's a portion of it that has created this idea of instant gratification. Yeah. And that instant gratification no longer just lasts on the channel of like getting likes or whatever or views. It's now spilled into the society of like just life. Like, you know, everyone wants everything so quickly. Like, you know, you want to make your first million dollars so fast. You want to, you want to buy your house this way. So you're in a rush. Everything is short-term thinking rather than, yeah, I want to do this as a journey. I want to have fun and that will reward me. And it might take a little longer, but, but who cares? Yeah. Let's switch gears here a little bit. There's, there's some things that you guys have done that I think have been so fun. And I think a lot of people in industry have, have enjoyed it. Um, can you tell me more about not specifically, I know you gotta, you gotta probably dance around this, but the legal incident where you guys turned it into a positive, I think that's a hilarious story. Yeah, dude, for sure. So yeah, we were talking with a big company and, um, you know, having great conversations, big fan of the brand, they wanted to buy midday squares and, and the goal was um, for us, at least since we started, is that we're not currently selling till we feel that if that is the case, that is the case. Otherwise, we're building for the long run. We're building this to be, like I said, a true legacy, long-term brand. And when we said no, everything was fine. And they 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 loved our product so much. And then two months later, they came at us with some, some letters regarding the use color of orange. And they said that we can no longer use the color orange for our package. And that was just weird because it was like they loved the product before and they, they were eating it and having fun with it. And what we did is instead of going to court and winning that battle, which we probably could have wanted over the, like the five-year run that it probably would have taken, it just would have drained capital and resources. What we decided to do is storytell. Because we are a media company, we, co- we take content every single day of everything that's going on. We document everything in the company. Uh, we, we don't share every everything, but we document thousands of thousands of thousands of videos we have since day one of every moment that has happened. I think 60,000 videos on our drive. But the idea is, is we had the irony of this whole conversation and we're like, Hey, well, if we can't go legally and we actually have to change the package because we're, we, we don't have the time and energy to do this, why don't we just share with our consumers the reason why and, and share the hilariousness of this whole situation. And when we did that, it blew up and went, you know, got picked up in the media. It got, you know, all this virality and then we went one step further and we were like, hey, well, we're a wacky group of founders. My partners and I like, why don't we do something a little bit even more crazy and, you know, show this company that we don't want to be you. We want to be ourselves. And we decided to make a music video to a, you know, a diss track, let's call it to the song. <laughs> My name is what by a parody version of the Eminem song. And the idea was to show that, you know, we're crazy founders and we'll do anything. And we let this parody go in this music video. And then it went viral again. And it just helped us build more fans because people were like, yeah, this is like David versus Goliath, chocolate gone crazy, big company versus small company, yet small company gets creative. And um, it ended up benefiting us tremendously because consumers were fired up. They turned more into fans. I love it, man. That's like, um, it's so next level, like not really trolling, but you did it in a way where the challenger brand or the the David in this case was everyone got behind you and rallied. And I, I love that. I, I stand for challenger brands really taking it to the legacy brands. And so good for you guys. Exactly. And I think that, yeah, like for any entrepreneur listening to this or any person listening to this that's in a business or working in marketing, it's like, or not even just marketing anything is don't always go where the majority goes. So this is a majority typically would say, just change the package and move on. Don't say anything, keep going. But Fortune favors bold. And, you know, when you put average inputs into a statistical analysis, your answer is going to be an average output, right? If you put unaverage decisions or unaverage inputs into a statistical analysis, it will spit out 
on average decisions, which would be outliers. And I always said to myself, my partners agreed is we want to be an outlier, whether that's good or bad, it's better than being in the middle. And when we did this decision, we looked at what our strengths were and our strengths wasn't legal or capital. Our strength was creativity and storytelling. And we're just like, screw it. The majority wouldn't do what we're doing. We're going to give it a shot. And that's what we did. And it, and it worked and it won't always work, but at least you'll learn something. You might lose it all, but you'll learn, you'll live and you'll continue going because we as humans are very resilient. And, and I think that just most of us as, as humans don't take that, we take play it safe when we don't need to. And playing it safe just is, I like to call living life just by breathing rather than actually living. Let's move to the, uh, out of the legal stuff, you guys, maybe because of that, or maybe not because of that, you guys made some, some packaging and perhaps a little bit of positioning changes with, with your product. What was, what was that process like amongst you and your found co-founders? Yeah. So we realized that over the three and a half years that we were building the business previous, we realized that the number one request from our consumers has always been to either make a resealable pack because our squares used to be two squares in one pack. So they wanted to maybe have a, a resealable one in the middle, like a zipper or like a, a do up. So it could keep the other square fresh when they had it later in the day, or they would ask for one square. So finally, when we realized that all the supply chain was getting out of whack last year and our prices went up tremendously and everything, we couldn't sustain our business with a two square unless we went from $399 in price point to about $599, even $549. And we're just like, well, we don't want to be that brand that's the premium, only premium product that you know sells just at the Whole Foods and Sprouts of the World or or the long, you know, or the long goes well, the Whole Foods, those are great accounts and they're great partners of ours, but you know, we want to be also a mainstream player. And we just said to ourselves, holy shit, like this is the time we, we, if we keep our product the way it is, the two pack, we won't be around in the next three, four months. So then in June, 2022, we decided to move from two square to one square. And we did a ton of changes. We basically resized the product. We reformulated some of the products. We removed certain things. We added certain things and we did this whole change. And we also increased prices by 27%. And our product was now 249 per square for one square was 249 rather than before it was 399 for two squares. Right. And that was like the craziest experience because you think it's just a, just a little change, but basically it triggers a UPC code change, which basically triggers all your distributors, all of your retail partners to start ordering as if it's a new product. So your demand planning is completely off because they're not ordering it the way the velocities were previously. They're ordering it according to a brand new item that they never had before. So we went from doing like, you know, million eight, a million seven, a million six a month in sales per month to an immediate drop to four hundred and five hundred thousand dollars a month. And it was because the whole logistics logistics side of the change was completely fucked up. And alongside when we did the package change, we shrink the package so that we put a barcode that the UPC code that actually, you know, retail scans to sell the product was too small. And it never, it didn't scan in stores. So we had 3 million packs that went to, a million of those went to retailers that were unable to scan in stores. So the retailers were also unable to process the orders because they're like, hey, we're just going to put this as a grocery item because we don't want to type in the the small numbers every single time we put a midday squares through. So everyone was mad at us, the consumers, the, the retailers. And then finally, six months later, five months later, things have actually worked out in our favor and consumers are now happy retailers are now happy and the velocities are back to where we need them to be and are growing. And the thesis is looking like it made sense to change from the two square to the one square and do the changes we need to do. 
Beautiful. You guys had a scenario where you you had to like maybe sticker uh, the UPCs, right? When they couldn't scan. I remember seeing a video where you you guys were like self-stickering some things. Was that, am I right? Or is that my off here? Yeah. Yeah. So no. So we had to sticker it because again, the UPC code was too small on the the new packs that we originally had for the single squares. It didn't scan in the store. So you couldn't buy the product without them having to either type in the numbers or, or put another item. If they put grocery item, it would never go to the midday squares as a sale. So they would never know the real stock in the store. So if they had a hundred spars in the store and then 80 of them were scanned as grocery items, they would think they still have a hundred stock in the store instead of they only had 20. So the reorders weren't coming through, which were causing out of stocks, which are creating so much frustration for everybody. Yeah. And that sounds like a nightmare. It was a nightmare, my friend. <laughs> well, I'm glad you guys got through it. Um, and recently there's been a, a, I saw there's been a pretty big win. You guys switched from from grocery to produce in Longos and you've seen tremendous growth. What do you think the um, the reason behind that is? So Longos is, again, people are very important in my opinion. So Longos, that group of people that work in the departments that we work with are very good humans. They focus on relationship building. They care. They want to help you win. And when we started with them, we were in the grocery set in like a small set and you know it was it was what it was and we were selling okay like really like not great okay then we worked with their buying team these two individuals specifically to build out this new concept of selling to in the produce set so completely changing categories into and departments into the produce set which is a new buying team new planograms all that stuff and we really had a thesis because our consumers buy our stuff next to the, they want to be next to the cut up fruit they want to be next to the produce because it's fresh it's healthy all this stuff because we're in the refrigerator, right? And then suddenly the sales over the last 10 months went up 733%. And this is because of number one, a meaningful relationship. Number two, building a case study, a fact-based selling that this is going to work, explaining to them why it's going to work. And then the third thing is, is now we're trying to replicate that model in all of our retailers through, we want to be into produce section for all of them. We believe that that, at least in Canada, is necessary because they don't have a refrigerated bar set. So otherwise it's like a scavenger hunt to find our bars. In the US, there's already an identified set with Perfect Bar because they built a great set. So it's just a different game, but Longos has done a phenomenal job and are an unbelievable retailer partner that has helped us and cared to grow this account and has put the gas in the pedal. And we're seeing the wins and the volume and the dollars is crazy. Beautiful. Because now you have a velocity story from switching categories or switching departments, different buyers, and then you can just take that to everyone stateside uh, here in, in the United States. And that's a dream. That's that's an absolute dream. Is, is that currently what you guys are up to, like taking the case study of Longos, pitching it to your current people and, and trying to make that switch? Yeah, that's exactly what we're doing. So we're trying to focus on slowly moving everyone to produce, but it takes time. You know, everything's molasses in the grocery space. So, you know, there's bureaucracies and all that jazz, but for the smaller accounts or the, you know, the mom and pops, they're able to move it very quickly. So they're doing it and we're seeing the wins. Incredible. So I want to talk about owning production. If you guys started over, is would, would you continue to own production? Is it something that you guys love? Is it, it has its pros and cons? What is that like? So it definitely has its pros and cons. It's something very special that we get to do. When we started, we were making these bars in our condo kitchen, right? So my sister, my brother-in-law's condo kitchen, and we were making them by hand and we were only able to do about 80 to hundred bars per day. And then we went, we basically moved into a small kitchen because the demand was up and we, we just basically hired a bunch of folks to hand make them. And when we were doing that, my sister went to go see so many co-manufacturers to third, to basically third party our manufacturing. And 
26 of the 26 told us that they weren't able to make our product the way we wanted to, that we'd have to change it because the machines can't handle certain things, the way we use our ingredients, the way we make our chocolate and the double stack layer. And my sister came back and she's like, screw it, we're going to go build our own facility. And so we built our own facility here in Montreal, Quebec, in Canada. And the Quebec governments are provincial, are basically it would be in, in terms of the US, it would be like your state government, our, our, our provincial government lent us money on debt to buy the machines, build up the facility. And today we could do up to 70 million of revenue at, at its capacity. And that's not even a perfect, perfect plant. This is like beta basically, right? And so 90,000 bars per day, let's call it. Yeah. Do I think it's the most amazing thing ever? Yes. Do I think it's the hardest thing of our business? Yes. So there's problems with doing your own manufacturing. It costs a lot of capital to get going. There's a lot of issues. You have to manage your labor. You have to manage you know, machines breaking down, you have to manage, you know, things going wrong that, you know, otherwise would have been solved by your co-manufacturer. You have to then take that. So it's like a whole other business within, right? So we have the three businesses. We have the manufacturing process, the production. We have the media component, which is all the storytelling and the noise and the brand building. And then you have the sales and typical food company business. So it's three different businesses under one roof. So it's definitely very difficult, but I would recommend anyone that wants to control or grow long-term should have a facility of their own. Yeah, that's super interesting because when I was at Quest Nutrition back in 2013 to 2017, I left early 2017, I think. And I remember it was vertically integrated. You know, there was in the city of industry, we had an enormous plant, by the way, like just shout out to Quest because I remember going to that plant and there was something called um, uh, crumble. It's the the stuff from the bars that just doesn't get made into a bar and it's like super fresh and it kind of looks like crumbled cookies. Um, that was the best stuff ever. But when we, we were there, I noticed after some point, you know, after capital came on in a big way, the owned manufacturing plant was no longer a thing, meaning they got rid of it. So it's always interesting to me seeing people who are owning it. They have a lot more, you know, it's it's way tougher, but they have a lot more latitude than being beholden to a co-manufacturer. So just a note there. Well, I appreciate it. Yeah. Listen, it's one of the greatest things to go every day and walk in the back of, you know, in the back of our building of our office and see a huge chocolate factory manufacturing scaling these innovations right the bars are in an, innova an innovation that's never existed previous right so it's definitely inspiring and you know we learn so much because we get to play around and control the entire we're vertically completely integrated right so we get to learn things fast try things quickly so there's a lot of advantages but again it takes a lot of stress and a lot of time and energy to make sure this place is operating and and operating efficiently to a certain extent with low waste and high and you got at your margin and if you don't reach your demand you just burn more so much money. Yep. Yep. I hear that. Speaking of stress, I know that early on you, your sister and your brother-in-law, you guys committed to um to seeing a specialist for you guys for building your business, right? Is that something you guys still do? Oh, of course. It's every it's every every week, one to one to two times per week, mandatory in good or bad times. That is a tool we use, a business therapist to help us with communications, to understand each other, to make sure our partnership remains tremendously strong. And that we that we listen, we care, we have empathy, we build and become better leaders. That is a mandatory investment. I think we're spending over fifty thousand dollars a year just on therapy um, for the company. Seems like a worthwhile spend because oftentimes in startups, the friction that and then the the interpersonal relationships seem to be what gets in the way of of success. So props to you guys. Appreciate you. So thirty under thirty. Let's let's jump to that. Congratulations! That was just announced yesterday. Um, what does that mean for you? This was a big one because 
the Forbes 30 under 30 was a dream of mine since uh, since I was in first year college. And I always said to myself, I'll, I'll be on there one day. And I didn't know what I was studying to be an actuary, you know, I was failing school practically um, at the time. So I, <laughs> I had a hard, I had a hard road ahead. Right. But I always looked at the people and I was inspired by the entrepreneurs. I was always like, yo, these got these folks are crushing it. They're they're doing cool things. Whether they're whether they're broke, broken, sacrificing everything, they still are getting recognized for the impact that they're making. So I said that and I promised myself, and I always wanted to do it. So I always said, okay, it's gonna be there, it's gonna be there, especially being in Canada. It's a huge thing because not a lot of Canadians get it necessarily. So then when I got it this year, which I'm 29 years old, I also got the lead to lead the food and beverage category. So like to actually uh, represent it, which was a really big moment for me because it goes to show that the work that we're doing at Midday Scores every day by showing that we're winning by being us, we're doing it a different way. All the pain and the, the misery that I was telling you about before is being recognized. And, you know, people said to me, oh, well, so congratulations to yourself and all this stuff. And I'm like, no, I'm like, this award is everyone is a piece of everyone that's been on that journey with me through the last decade of entrepreneurship for me. That is what the award represents. It's all it represents all those folks that have been part of it or helped or you know, even diminished is part of that award. And I think that's where it means a lot to me. Obviously, it's also nice to have it, um, you know, for my network and stuff like that. But I think it just, it symbolized that you could win by being you and still get recognized by larger institutions or larger publications even by being yourself, which is a positive sign going forward. It's refreshing to hear. I think, um, you know, congrats, one. Two, congrats on doing it by being completely yourself. I think that oftentimes um, people think that they need to put on a different face, if you will, or a different persona to be successful or to try to replicate what somebody else has done. But one thing that I think that's really special about what Midday Squares is doing is that you guys are completely being authentic authentically yourselves 24 seven, like as much as possible. So kudos to that. Thanks, man. That that's really what we came into this for. As you said, we need to do this by staying true to us. And if we don't, then that's, that's just sad. You touched on it earlier. Um, we, we've often told brands on the, on the agency side that they shouldn't be looking too much at what other people or other brands have done and how they've done it. They need to identify, you know, within their certain guardrails as a business owner and what they stand for, how to be the first version of themselves, not the second version of whatever brand is out there. And I think it's really cool that you mentioned that. I think it's, it's really showing in your guys' work. I appreciate that. You know, and I got caught in yardsticking last year um, where I was uh, comparing myself to everybody around me and it brought me down a horrible path. I started getting off my game and losing in a lot of areas of my life, not just business. And um, I realized that I should be happy for everyone around me that's doing cool things and getting recognized and all this stuff or getting the wins. And I learned that lesson. I said, I'm not going to yardstick again. Like I, I'm proud, I'm happy, and I'm fired up and excited. And it's just a mindset, right? And um, I think a lot of businesses want to do exactly the way other people are doing it, but that's not their authenticity. It's like, you know, you can take inspiration, but don't don't try to be another person or another brand because it won't come off the same way. It won't come off the way that you need the flow to flow, right? It's going to come off as almost cringe, actually. Um, so I always tell people, do you figure out what that you is? I learned this lesson really early on. My brother, Ralph, he used to take me to, you know, he taught me how to play baseball or basketball, basically all the sports. And um, he told me one time when we we're at the batting cages, boss said, don't look at anybody else's swing. It's going to mess up yours. And my brother, Mike, took me to the gym one time when I was a kid. I was maybe in sixth or seventh grade. And I remember between a set, 
I looked over to somebody else, what somebody else was doing at the gym. And he's like, dude, what are you doing? You've got to focus on your set, focus on the way you're lifting. And I feel that that kind of translates over into business kind of exactly how you're doing it. You're doing it your way. And I think it's super important. Yeah, man. And that, that's the truth. You do it. You, you do you and you win. You are your superpower. So why are you not, why are humans not activating that? It's right in front of them. It's within them, but they're fearful to activate it, which is the strangest concept in my opinion. I agree with that. And I, th- I think something that might be a bottleneck for people or something that, that maybe sparks fear in them is, is not being accepted for who they are. And I think in a way like social media has been a blessing in so many ways for businesses. I know, you know, early on, I, I mean, Quest built it, their community off of Facebook early on and stumble upon. And that was like one of my first gigs when I, when I got to Quest was like, Vasa do stuff on stumble upon. I was like, what the hell is that? But going back to the point, I just think it's super important. Um, I'll stop beating, beating a dead horse. It's just for all brands listening, it's important for you to be yourself regardless of the fear. And I think that don't pay attention attention to social media. There will always be trolls on there. It doesn't mean you're not accepted and it doesn't mean you're not loved. I think that it's important just to be you and, and, and good things will come. Here's the thing about trolls, my friend. As you grow in whatever you're doing, whether you're a personality, whether you're a business, whether you have an agency, whatever it is, your job, you know, whatever you're doing, humans, unfortunately... Um, there's a lot of humans out there suffering and then they'll take out their suffering on you, not even realizing it. So when I started, we had no trolls. Like I remember it was just my friends, you know, the supporting my family members, everyone was cheering us on. Then as we start to grow, there start to be mean comments here and there, you know, angry things mean, you know, bullying to a certain extent. And I started to get angry and take it personally and, and feel really shitty about myself and, you know, really go down a negative spiral that very deep negative spiral where I almost felt, you know, massively depressed. And then when I worked with my therapist, he made me realize that a lot of these trolls, they're just suffering so much that you were the outlet that they took it out on in that moment. And a lot of the time, if you are able to, and you understand that it's not about you, but it's about them and you could take out your emotion out of it, then you can actually have a conversation with these people. And a lot of the time, I'd say six on 10 times or seven out of 10, they actually want to befriend you. They want to, they actually want to be associated or they want to be, they want to know you or, or sit, talk to you, but they lash out because they're suffering. Right. And you were there that moment or they're having a bad day. And then you were that target for that moment. So now I, with trolls, I just try to turn them into friends. Mm-hmm. I, I say funny things back to them. Like, uh, you know, not negative things or, or comebacks. I say, did you grab my ass or did you, did you give me a kiss on my nipple? Like stupidity. <laughs> and, and what it does is it, it, it breaks the wall. So it, it, but then they say they either come at me even harder or they're just start laughing. And they're like, I'm sorry, I had a bad day and I took this out on you. And then we become friends. So that's, I think the idea is trolls, unfortunately, they're going to be around as long as humans are suffering. And yeah. uh, that's a whole different topic in itself. Yeah, I, I had a few run-ins early on. So with with Perfy last year, when I started formulating, I knew that I had to build in public. I didn't have the enormous amount of capital to launch day and date. And with all of the bells and whistles, I had to start building or, or making noise really early on. And there were people that would say like, oh, you're not really making a soda or they would say whatever they could. And then when I finally launched it, there were some people that were like rooting, some people that were still, they found a new reason to to be a troll. But what I'm getting at is one thing that I found is is very similar. And on TikTok in particular, there's a lot of like anonymous accounts and one troll got so bad where I literally just reached out and I said, Hey, I, I'm not sure what's, what's going on. 
But if you need anything or if you need to talk, like we're ready in the DMs. And it completely disarmed them because they're like, wow, you're you're actually humans. We were I was expecting for this this brand to be mean to me. And it it says a lot about, you know, like Wendy's can get away with it, but going back to people trying to be others, I think too many brands are trying to be Wendy's with clapbacks. And in some instances, it's really good. I know Fly by Jing does a great job at it. But I think that there's you, you said it best. People are hurting and they're lashing out on brands for an outlet. And we just have to hopefully empathize with them and take it to DM and see what's going on with them. Maybe, maybe a case of soda or maybe some chocolate would, would help and make their day and keep them from doing something bad, you know? <laughs> yeah, I agree that we could send them some love. They need love. It's just, they need the good energy and the vibes. They need, they, they need it badly. 100%. Well, Jake, um, I had an absolute blast chatting with you. It's, it's great to finally meet you. I'm looking forward to meeting you in person at Expo West. But where can people find you and where should we follow the, the TV show? <laughs> you find us at Target nationwide in the refrigerator, or we're always in the refrigerator, or you know, Whole Foods, Sprouts. There's so many other smaller retailers, Fresh Time, Fresh Market, um, Air One, Foxtrot, or on our website, www.middaysquares.com or Amazon. And in Canada, if you're in Canada, Sobeys, Metro, uh, Whole Foods, Farm Boy Longos, many more. Again, always in the refrigerator. And uh, watch the TV show on our on our TikTok and our Instagram, um, and you can follow us on LinkedIn too. It's a little bit little bit different, but it's still fun. Um, it's all midday squares. And if you want to contact me, add me on LinkedIn, Jake Carls, and I'm happy to engage, chat, fire it up, get a coffee, have some tea, and dance. <laughs> I appreciate you, man. Thanks so much. Thanks, brother. I appreciate you. 